Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, powered by DeerCast. I am Tim Chelsvik. I'm Matt Drury, and this is just the tip. Mm, We're honing in on the last couple episodes. <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but they're not coming from us. Like The tips are coming from Terry Drury. So Terry, somebody that's knowledgeable. Uh-huh. So you granted me access to the Rack Pack administrative side. And I didn't so want to. I, I've been seeing the uh, comments that people leave when I approve them for entry into the rack pack, it is fun actually. And, and it's, it's amazing. Almost all of them say they love the guests expert advice, but from us, it's just the humor, (laughs) right? Right. The self-deprecating humor, the realism. Yeah. So the sad Zachary, without further ado, Terry jury, the expert in our rut series, just a tip. How's it going? Good morning. How's everyone? We're great. We're good. So just a quick recap. I've done this at the beginning of each show. This series is a uh, kind of a micro look at the rut portion of our season. So yeah. we've already uh, gone through four episodes. They're about 15 to 20 minutes in length. And so the, you know, we're launching them every two days. And the idea here is, hey, we asked the Rack Pack what their rut related questions are. And Terry's given us the answers, just the tip, just the answer. And this is something that you can listen to in a tree on your way to your hunt. Whatever, whatever you're doing in your car, in your car, yeah, that's right. On slow, you drive a truck. Look, thank you, Tim. In the little slow periods, uh, in between deer moving. So hopefully, if you're struggling, this is giving you some advice. Would be something if someone missed a deer because they had an earbud in and were listening. And- <laughs> Whoops. No, don't blame us. <laughs> right. Use common sense. <laughs> okay. So we've got uh, we've got a, a, a number of questions on this episode. So our first set of questions comes from, uh, is actually sponsored by Sportsman's Channel, your home for everything red, wild, and blue, and your home for Winchester and Drury's Natural Born, a show that I am notably absent on this season. Yeah, you're supposed to be on it, but uh, you're you a cast member. And you don't kill anything. But guess what? I was a cast member of 13 and not on it. So. Can I have like a slow walk away in like black and white with maybe some music playing? No. Okay. <clears throat> all right. John Barbie. Uh, so, all right, Terry, this is for you. John Barbie wants to know, would you take an old doe that's a better breeder or a young one with more years left to breed? You know, and I think we touched on this just briefly on the last episode, but with that said, you know, we always look for an adult doe that is barren, meaning she's she's uh, not capable or doesn't have uh, uh, dropping fawns anymore. So we try to target that? those older does, but it doesn't always work like that. And it's and it's somewhat of a slippery slope because oftentimes those barren does are your alpha does, mm. which kind of determine where that little you know, that little pod is going to go, that little group, you know, when they're used to following that barren doe and she knows how to navigate through the timber and through the, through the food source and all those other things, you pull her out of the mix and it changes their travel route, their travel patterns. We've Mm -hmm. seen that oftentimes, particularly if you take two or three out of the same 
group, okay. it's uh, it does it does change their their travel routes. Where so that being said, uh, once in a while we'll take a, a year and a half old doe if it's one that we want to put in a cooler. But we usually target those old old adult does that are no longer uh, bearing young ones. Okay. T- Tim good. was asking, how do you know if they're bearing? Well, a lot of times they won't have a fawn with them. And if it's one that has markings or something on her nose or ears or her back, you know, big scratch marks or something. And we see them, like you know, on multiple beaten? occasions, <laughs> then you kind of, you kind of log it in the back of your head. Like she's battered. I don't understand. She's got a coexist sticker on a Subaru that she's driving. Is that? <laughs> what do you mean by the markings she has on her? Like, how does that tell you if she's barren? Well, you know, I mean, because she doesn't have a fawn with her. If she, if it's the same doe year after year that doesn't have a fawn with her, she's no longer bearing does. Ah. You know, she's not carrying. It's not an emblazoned B on her. It says parent. Scarlet letter. It's the old, old gal that's sagging and she looks rough. Or she's usually the one that wins you and then comes back and rewins yeah, you and then stomping. comes back and she stomps and she stares. That one. Yes, that one. Killer. <laughs> Even if she is bearing, she gets it. The, the, the meme with the two hillbilly ladies and they're like looking up and they're pointing. They're like the old doe that blows at you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's pretty funny. Okay, and Chris Comer wants to know, what's the ideal buck to doe race? to have the most buck movement during the rut well you know they're born at a one-to-one ratio the ideal would be to harvest and and have maintain a one-to-one ratio but that is not real practical Mm -hmm. so if you can get down to a four-to-one ratio doe to buck or three-to-one ratio that's a a pretty good ratio to where you know a lot of the does will be bred and and those bucks are still going to be out looking and searching and doing their thing where rattling and grunting and all those things that you want to work will work but when you have a doe to buck ratio of 15 to 1 20 to 1 and so on and so forth it just does not work uh because there's just there's so many does that they don't have to travel very far to look for the next one all they got to do is just kind of walk around. And there's another one bumping into them. So it really depends on the deer density and what that ratio is that you have. Mm-hmm. And that's why you got to be conscious about always managing that herd, making sure that you're taking a number of does out of the herd, trying to get it down to a four to one, three to one. Uh, one to one is just almost impractical. I know there's many areas down in Texas where they're, you know, strictly managing for for that ratio and, th- and they can achieve that in fenced areas. But when you're in the wild, it's pretty hard to achieve that one to one ratio. So it, if you have a lot of does though, is it, is that something where you feel like, Hey, maybe more bucks will travel in during the rut to this area because we have a lot of does or no. Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps you could pick up some different bucks, but, but when you have that, that ratio that's out of whack, when it's, you know, 10 to one, 12 to one, 13 to one, all of a sudden rattling don't work. Grunting don't work. Mm. It, they don't have to, you know, that because gotcha. they've just got, ample supply of does that are that are available and uh all those things that you plan on doing to call in a buck just aren't as effective as they would be if the ratio was was in check ah i see i got problems man that's why my calling never works (laughs) that's one reason it's the does it's not me let's let's go with that All right. So the next question uh, is brought to you by Tracker Off-Road. Whether it's chores around the property or going to retrieve your deer, hopefully, Tracker Off-Road makes a side-by-side that's right for you. All right. So we have a question from 
Peyton Prowse. And, and all three of these are kind of like, we'll just roll them all together because they're all three pretty related. All right. So I'll just, I'll read off all three questions and then uh, Terry will get your take. So is it possible to have multiple ruts in one season? Uh, Jagger, Secor, Seeker, Secker? Smith. <laughs> does the rut happen? Does the rut happen at the same time every year? And then Brent Lemming, I hear about a second rut from time to time. Is that really a thing? So basically, it's all rut related. Is what's the timing of the rut? Is there more rut, more than one rut during a season? And uh, what about this second rut? Does it happen every year, or is it just time to time? Well, interestingly enough, Peyton Prowse, his question talked about, you know, an overpopulated uh, deer herd or, or high deer density. So I'm going to segue into that one out of the last thing we just talked about. When you have a, a buck to doe ratio that is out of whack and you've got 15 or 20 does that haven't been bred during the hunter's moon, that particular phase that we're going into right now. You know, there's only they can only breed so many does if the ratio is out of whack. He's talking about an overpopulated area. So only only a, a handful will be bred, you know, because they don't stay in forever. So they're going to be with that doe four to five days. And then all of a sudden they may, you know, get on to a second one. But after that, there's a whole wide uh, uh, variety of does that never got bred. Mm -hmm. So it's not uncommon for that second full moon. And everyone know, wants to know, is there a second run, rut? Absolutely. The, because they're, if the population is way out of whack, those does that didn't get bred, there's a good chance they may come back in and they will get bred. Or the the uh, yearling does that you see this late in December and sometimes even in January, you see a lot of those yearling does that did not get bred or they didn't come in that first round. Mm -hmm. They weren't into estrus cycle. So they come into that second estrus cycle. That's where that rut really kind of gets uh, differentiated between one, two, or three. We've seen it happen in November. We've seen it happen in December. We've also seen it happen in January where they're trailing a, a doe that hadn't been bred, a young one. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, those ruts do happen. It's not a fallacy. Uh, it's not as prevalent as the first go around. It's a little more subdued. It's a little more suppressed. I think this year, the second rut could possibly be as good, if not better than the first one, oh. because the moon is waxing full here so early, this honors moon. Mm -hmm. I think that next one could be really, really good here uh, uh -huh. when it waxes towards the end of November and on into December. I think that one could be Which really, really correlates uh, with a lot of gun seasons. So. It's going to yes. be murderers row if the weather's right. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. You know, I, di I didn't address that, but Matt, you're, you're absolutely correct. They wanted to know, one of the questions I think wanted to know about uh, the timing of those ruts. And I think there's two things. One is when the mo moon waxes full. The other are those firearm seasons. I think, you know, decades of having that firearm season come in at the exact same time each and every year when they stop moving. I think a lot of that breeding happens prior to that that time period. Mm -hmm. And then and then after two to three weeks after those farm seasons are over, I think that's when they get comfortable traveling again. And that's when oftentimes you'll see that second rut trickling. It's a trickling effect, if you will. So that farm season really has a lot of impact. It's the reason we see and that's the reason we travel. We see different ruts in Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri. Every one of them is just slightly different. And I think it's because of the uh, extended firearm seasons that have been going on for so many years. Well, I want to dig into that then, because I thought that it was kind of a fallacy that the, there are different, the rut is at a different time of year. I thought 
peak estrus, you know, Midwest, May, mainly November 14th. And the rut's always the same time of year. And it's basically the moon and weather conditions that highlight day, daytime activity. Is that not the case? It, it is. But I think decades of, of that firearm season has influenced that. Hmm. It truly has influenced that because a lot of that breeding happens just prior to the firearm season opening. Illinois, it's it's like a light switch event. Three or four days prior to their firearms, it happens, and then boom, then they just they stop moving literally. And then until the firearm seasons are over, then it all all of a sudden picks back up in that late season. Very similar to Missouri, you see it. You know that first uh, ten days of November where it's a really really flurry of activity. And then all of a sudden it just stops. I mean, it literally dies. And not saying that you can't kill a buck, you know, during those farm seasons because they do get they do get killed. But there's a lot of pressure out there, outside pressure, it's shuffling of the deck where there's people moving and different scents and all that stuff, and they're bumping deer around. So you're gonna you're gonna kill deer by default oftentimes, or you may have a bigger track where they're still on their pattern. But uh, those decades of firearm season, I think, have been very influential hmm. as to when those estrus cycles come in and out. That's interesting. Um, so on that same kind of line of thinking, are we – yeah, I'm just thinking about the season and the rut itself. And you're thinking, okay, it's going to be good that first week. We end the first week and we we'll start going into the dark of the moon somewhere right there around the beginning of the first weekend of gun season, right? So – is that going to have, I would think that would have an adverse effect on possibly that opening weekend into the first week of the, like the Missouri firearm season, mid-November? It usually does. And if you recall, we sat on my farm, was that last year or year before? Last year. Last year. Wasn't it? Yeah. Where we got skunked with guns in our hands. Forrest and I went two years in a row and didn't kill a firearms deer in Missouri on my farm. To be fair, so that, we passed that a was, lot of bucks. <laughs> that, we, we, we passed some young deer, but yeah. it kind of tells you uh, what happens with those mature deer. I mean, they literally, they're either doed up or they lay down and they just don't move mm. because it's just years and decades of, of kind of getting bred into them. Okay. So here, here's my follow-up on that. How long will a buck stick with with their doe. So, you know, we always say that the most mature buck's going to find the first doe that gets in first estrus, ever. right? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> that's going to be earlier on, right? That's going to be like the first week of November. Will, will he be freeing up by that that period? Should be. And, and that happens usually seven to 10 days. That estrus cycle usually starts seven to 10 days after the moon waxes full. And this hunter's moon I think is what the 30th or something. I don't know which day it's 28th, it goes 28th. full. Is it 28th or yeah. the 30th? 28th. 28th. Okay. So seven to 10 days, you're going to see some does pop and it's the hunter's moon. They should, there should be a lot of them that are, that are into this estrus cycle. So you're going to see that there's going to be some bucks. And, and last night we saw some deer that were up on their feet on the cameras. Uh, and because the temperatures are still warm, we're not seeing much daylight activity. The majority of this is happening after legal shooting hours until, you know, early in the morning when they're going back to bed. But you'll see that there's going to be some breeding. All of our bucks had their mouths open last night. Everything that was on the camera, they're putting some miles on right now looking for that first available estrus doe. So in answer to your question, yes, they'll probably be doed up for four or five days. And then by the time that firearm season rolls around, yes, they may be up on their feet and looking for that next one. Absolutely correct. Because this should air, I think, somewhere around November the 7th, I think, About this, that. this episode. So we're going to be in that period where 
they're maybe, you know, if, if they caught early on in the, in the cycle, they might be freeing mm-hmm. up or starting to free up around this period. Yeah. Some of them. Well, and for the naysayers that don't think the moon has any influence on it, I, all I can say is look at your cameras and the, and the history, man. We have killed a bunch of deer, you know, four or five days on either side of a full moon. And it's been uh, historically, it's where 85% of our deer that we kill throughout the year is is in that little time period there each and every each and every month. It's not just October. It's not November. It's every month, October, November, December. Once that moon waxes, all of a sudden things change. But there's no science. Well, yeah, you know, a, a lot of people say that, and just because there is no science that backs it up, does that, that, I mean, that's not a conclusion. That just means that there's a lack of evidence, scientific evidence, right now. Maybe there will be some scientific I mean, evidence. I, at some I think, point. you know, millions of hunters over decades <laughs> is enough. Is what do they call it empirical evidence, or yeah. And, and, and I've also heard people say, well, there's collection bias in the mix. Like, you yeah. know, hunters are going to want to go more during around, around, around a full moon. So yeah. of course you'll have more kills, but it, it, I mean, our records here at Drury outdoors, they really do indicate a lot of deer dying around the full moon. Yeah. So, well, and, and the luxury that we have, if you will, we hunt four months solid every single day. So we're watching that activity every single day. We're sitting in tree stands, getting skunk, not seeing a damn thing. And then all of a sudden the moon waxes full and the temperatures drop. It is, it's a correlation between temperatures and moon. We always say temperature trumps that moon and it does, you know, when we get this cold front moving in and temperatures drop, you're going to see a bunch of deer up on their feet, but we've been watching it for so long. The facts do not lie. The facts are there. That's when we harvest a majority of our deer three to four days on either side of a full moon. And I'd say it's about 85% of the number of deer we've killed historically for decades. It's been like that. And we watch it all year long and you sit there and get skunk. And then all of a sudden the moon waxes full and then there's deer up on their feet with their mouths open, walking and looking. So uh, they say anything they want to that, you know, and, and part of, uh, part of the algorithm is that moon is an influencer. It's weighted. Obviously we got it weighted differently for each and every part of the rut. And uh, through that rut cycle, there's 13, 13 different influencers. So it's a part of it. Well, folks will definitely want to turn into our next show. We're going to wrap up this one because we're going to be addressing that specific topic in show number six here. Uh, as far as like what is in the DeerCast algorithm that we really focus on when the rut hits. So make sure you stay tuned for that. All right. I think we'll wrap this one up and uh, hope you hope you enjoyed it. Kind of a rut focused episode. I don't care if they enjoyed it or not. Okay. And uh, <laughs> tune into the next one. Tim says it's going to be good. All right, till next time, peace out. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.